So tonight is January 10th, 2018. This year has gone by, man. This is our third installment in the Talmudim teachings. The title of tonight's message is called Lavish Traveling Together. Come on, church. Can you say lavish with me? Lavish! We're going to lavish tonight. And brother, to knock you upside the head, Trista's message, he preached about the attachment between a rabbi and his disciple. We learned that the relationship was supposed to be closer than that of a father and a son. And in a profound moment afterward, brother Abambola, the Holy Ghost steamroller, Deramola. Our brother hinted at a sode that was beautiful. He talked about the gold rings that were necessary to carry the Ark of God. You guys remember that? Yes. yes. The gold rings were lavishly made to attach men to the presence of God. Much like those gold rings were precious, our attachment to our teacher was meant to be lavish. You guys want to be attached to the presence of God? Yes. yes. Amen. Amen. Do you want to have a lavish relationship with Jesus and your rabbi? Yes. yes. Do you want it? Yes. Then we must pay the full cost of discipleship. When we move past the take-in process and we attach ourselves, we're beginning to position ourselves to be lavished upon. Amen. Talking about the cost of discipleship. Y'all want to get in the word? Yes. Y'all want to get in the word? Yes. Turn with me to Luke 9, verse 57. Say lavish when you're there. Wow. <laughs> Y'all shooting it up. Uh, right side of the room is winning. Amen. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say, to, say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Got a question for you. Where does discipleship start? It might be at a dinner table learning from Pastor Eric about the adversities and the struggles that God used to forge this ministry from which we're all blessed. How about that? Yeah. Or maybe it's sitting around a fire learning from Pastor Wade about going into a private Baptist school and seeing people filled with the Holy Ghost. <laughs> it might be Pastor, Pastor Matt walking the, through the hills and the valleys of Kenya, learning what it really means to talk about the word as you walk along the road, like it says in Deuteronomy 6, verse 7. Amen. It may be learning how the believers eat together daily from Elder Baj, right? Or installing the French drain at Uncle Charlie's house, huh? <laughs> Where does discipleship start? It's not just in a church. It doesn't start behind this pulpit. It starts when you're walking along the road with your rabbis. Amen. Amen. Say discipleship is a walk. It's a walk. In our walk of discipleship, our rabbis have lavished on us fundamental foundational teachings that have filled our hearts with courage. Amen. We're going to search through the word and gaze into one of our favorite disciples' life. Can you guess who it is, church? Can you guess who it is? Maybe. <laughs> We're going to glean from his walk tonight, and we're going to dive into his life. He's a famous Jewish general, and we're going to see what it means to be truly lavished upon. Mm, got it. You guys want to move on to that? Yeah. yeah. Hey, but before we move on, let's talk about foundational teachings. Do you want to be lavished on? Yes. 
Well, let's ask, are you being lavished on in this church, and yet you are failing to learn the foundational teachings of this church? Just a side note here. You want to be lavished on in this church. You want to learn the deep truths of the faith. Are you mastering the Discipleship Helps program? Amen. Are you mastering Acts 1? Are you mastering Acts 2? That's where it starts, church. We cannot say we want to move on to be lavished upon unless we master those foundational teachings. Amen? Amen. All right, turn with me to Joshua 4, verse 14. 14. Say there when you're there. 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 Joshua 4, verse 14 says, That day, everybody say that day. That day. The Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel. And they revered him all the days of his life, just as they had revered Moses. See, that's a very special day. On that day, God exalts Joshua in the sight of all the Israelites. How many of you want to go through that day in your walk? You want to go through that day in your discipleship process. You see, what happened on that day is the same anointing that was on Moses was transferred to Joshua. You see how they revered him? As they revered Moses, Mm. you see, there is a specific day in store for all who are taken in by Jesus and attached to him where he exalts you in your field of ministry. Now, don't get me wrong. You all are called and appointed to the task. Say called and appointed. Called and appointed. But there is going to be a day when your discipleship process under these rabbis is complete and you are going to be launched into doing what you are called to do. Whether you are called to minister to your workplace, a peer group, or a foreign mission field, we must strive for the day when God exalts us. Do you want that? Yes. Yes. Now let's ask a question. What led up to the day when God exalted Joshua? That's a good question. Joshua had the privilege of being lavished on by his leaders. He chose to answer the call and was taken in and attached to his rabbis. He was attached to both Moses and Aaron, and he was allowed to see and hear things that other Israelites didn't. Let's go through a few examples. Joshua got to hear about Moses' rejection of fame. In Hebrews 11, in the 24th verse, it says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Man, this is such an amazing example of what a discipler looks like. Think about the pastors that you have in this church, about the elders that you have in this church. You're sitting amongst men who walked away from six-figure jobs, who walked away at the height of their career from everything they had been working to build. They walked away from retirement plans. They walked away from children's college funds. They walked away from the fame of Egypt and the world and the lavishment that it offered them to be lavished by God. Amen. Amen. That's amazing. How about this in Exodus 4, 29? He saw Aaron performing the miracles from the very beginning. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. That is amazing. He also got to see Moses stare down imperial Egypt. Amen. If you read in Hebrews 11, verse 28 through 29, it says that by faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they drowned. Man, can you imagine being Joshua seeing that? 
must be an amazing moment as a disciple seeing the power of God displayed through his rabbi. Yeah. Yes. Let me ask you something. Do you struggle with courage? Yeah. Yes. Well, then what a blessing it is to see the Holy Ghost inspire men to conquer giants for us to rest our feet on their necks. Amen. How about this? He saw Aaron's staff bud because God had chosen him. Yep. In Numbers 17, verse 8, it says, The next day Moses entered the tent of the, of the testimony and saw that Aaron's staff, which represented the house of Levi, had not only sprouted, but had budded, blossomed, and produced almonds. Then Moses brought out all the staffs of the Lord's presence to all the Israelites. Have you not seen the, the staff of God, the word of God, blossom and change your lives, change our lives, change my life? Yeah. Have we not seen that? Yeah. It's been lavished on us. That's a good point. And just to demonstrate the kind of lavishment that was being bestowed here, I want to go a little bit more into the character of the men that were discipling him. So Joshua was lavished to the point that Moses, the anointed man of God, called to save a nation and bring judgment on the gods of Egypt, lavished his anointing on him as his successor. See, when you have something that you don't value, it's not that easy. It's easy just to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. But when you have something that is precious something that you worked decades for, and you put it on another's shoulders in just a few years, see, that's something that's precious. You say being lavished is precious? Yes. yes. What was lavished upon Joshua was a precious God-born anointing, one that conquered kings, one that brought people out of Egypt, one that redeemed the world and brought about salvation. That same kind of lavishment is being offered to us here in this evening. Amen. In Numbers 27, 22, it describes this event. Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and had him stand before Eleazar the priest in the whole assembly. Then he laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord instructed through Moses. It's incredible. He also got to see Aaron standing in the gap. If we go to Numbers 16, 47 through 50, we see that Aaron did as Moses said and ran into the midst of the assembly. The plague had already started among the people, but Aaron offered incense and made atonement for them. He stood between the living and the dead, and the plague stopped. But 14,700 people died from the plague. That's a lot of people. That is a lot of people. In addition to those who had died because of Korah. Then Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance to the tent of meeting, for the plague had stopped. Joshua got to watch this plague destroy 14,000 people for their sin, and he got to see how a priest operates through intercession. Hmm. Is that not being lavished? The things that Joshua experienced, the, the things that he saw, was he not lavished with the glories of God, with the, the word of God, with the warnings of God? Yes. Yes, he was. Do we not receive the same thing in this place? Yes, we do. Joshua had the benefit of witnessing firsthand all of Moses and Aaron's victories. He also was close enough to learn from their mistakes. That's important. Come on now. We learned Sunday about the attachment between a rabbi and his students is supposed to be greater than that of a father and a son. Can you learn about a man's failures from a pulpit? No. Can you? Mm -mm. No. So church, we are the kind of church that puts our mistakes on display for the whole world to see so that we can give them an opportunity to learn from it as well as our successes. For instance, in Moses' life, Joshua got to hear about the time that he killed an Egyptian. Exodus 2, 12 says this. Glancing this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Hmm. Now, we've all made mistakes, but have any of you in the room buried a dead body out back we need to know about? Don't answer that question. The, <laughs> Don't answer that. It's recording. Have any of you wanted to? 
Moses lavished upon him something that was incredibly sensitive. It wasn't just his grand successes. It was his mistakes in life that he wanted his son never to repeat. And not just Moses. He got to see Aaron acquiescing to the people. In Exodus 32, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. You see, Joshua had the benefit of seeing men of God fail and get it right. Was Aaron cut off at that moment? No, no. no, he wasn't. He got to see the grace of God applied through Aaron's life as Aaron strived to get it right. Amen. How about this? He saw Moses overworked and self-reliant. Anybody ever been overworked in there? Another question. You ever seen your pastors overworked? Your brothers overworked? Yes. Yeah, I have. <laughs> Moses' father-in-law replied, what, are you do- what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. This is what we see here on a day-to-day basis. God, our, our pastors and our elders, our brothers, putting in work for the kingdom. Do we not have the responsibility to do the same? Yes, yes we do. Another example is in Aaron's life, Joshua got to see Miriam when Aaron sided with her in a rebellion. Now, I know of you have never, ever been led by a woman or ever chosen your family over the people of God. But Aaron, he got put on display. He learned how to repent and put that sin behind him, church. Put it behind. In Numbers 12, 1 and 2, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked. Hasn't he spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. See, the end result of this story is that he got rebuked before the whole world, a lot like Peter. And yet, there was the restorative power of God on display for men who wanted God's lavishment on them and were earnestly repenting. See, through mistakes, failures, and successes, the King of Kings is looking to lavish upon us tonight what we need to get it right tomorrow. Amen. Amen. Joshua also got to see what must have been a crushing blow to himself. He got to see Moses strike the rock in anger. In Numbers 20, verse 9 through 12, it says that Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff, Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. You see, the response to this was that Moses was cut off from entering the land. See, we often think of the penalty that was occurred to Moses, but can you imagine Joshua standing there watching that? Must have been a crushing blow for Joshua to see his rabbi, his teacher, his spiritual father not allowed to enter the land. You see, Moses was not allowed to enter, but Joshua was allowed to witness what consequences followed Moses' sin. Joshua learned from the consequences that befell Moses' actions. Hmm. In the same horrible event, he saw Aaron, Aaron acquiesce to Moses. Can I say my brothers need me and I need my brothers? Yeah. Yeah. I need my brothers and my brothers need me? Yeah. Flip that around. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. Can, can, can you say that your pastors need you and you need your pastors? Yes. Amen. It's been lavished on us. Yes. In all of these instances, Joshua had a very special privilege. He was allowed to see into the lives of his mentors and glean from both their failures and their strengths. 
He was able to gain all their strengths and ensure that he would not repeat their failures. For example, you don't see Joshua fall in many of the ways that his teachers did. Do you? No. Mm. You remember the Monday night Bible studies? On the conquest of Canaan, Joshua learned new things. He made mistakes in a whole lot of areas that he got to pass on to his disciples and what to do and what not to do. But he remembered what his teachers taught him. And they brought the kingdom of God on earth in a hostile world. See, can you say that Joshua had a very special place? Yes. That he had a very special attachment? Yes. See, that begs a question for me. And that must beg a question for you too. Why was Joshua chosen? See, why wasn't it in any of the other six million men in the assembly? Why was Joshua chosen? Do you sit here tonight and sometimes you wonder, you look at other men in the church, you look at some of the other disciples, and you ask, why them and not me? Do you, do you suspect that there is some kind of favoritism at play? Ask yourself that. I know that those thoughts run through this body. Why them and not me? Why am I not included in the inner circle? Why am I not included with whoever? Well, let's ask the question, why was Joshua chosen? Amen? Amen. Turn with me to Psalm 1825. Say there when you're there. There. All right, Psalm 1825 says, To the faithful you show yourself faithful. Say that with me. To the the faithful faithful, you you show show yourself yourself faithful. faithful. To the blameless you show yourself blameless. Isn't that incredible? Could it be possibly that Joshua was chosen because of his faithfulness over time? You see, many people want to reap the benefits of being being included in the fold, but they don't want to do what it takes to get there. Mm -hmm. You see, Joshua proved himself by being faithful. And we're going to look at this in Exodus 33, 11. Turn there if you would. Say there when you're there. 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 Guys on the stage are killing it up here. Catch up. Verse 11 says that the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Can you imagine that? The Lord wouldn't hide anything from Moses. He gave him his very presence, kind of like being attached to that ark. Amen? Then Moses would return to the camp. But who? His young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Oh, man. You see, when the presence of God fell on his rabbis, when the presence of God fell on the elders, when they left, Joshua didn't go anywhere. He showed himself faithful. He showed Moses that he had nothing before him except to be where God told him to be. Joshua was hungry for the presence of God. Amen? Amen. Joshua was hungry. Are you hungry tonight? Yes. We talked last Sunday about how comforting it would have been for Jesus to come to you and say, I want you to be with me. Is that comforting? Yes. Is it comforting for somebody stronger to take you under their wing and say, I want you to learn from me? Yes. Well, you have to be hungry for it. Are you hungry tonight for that? Yes. I'm going to tell you something. The lifetime of the opportunity, the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized within the opportunity of a lifetime. And that's an important note. You have to get a hunger from the Lord and you have to pursue it. If you want to press into discipleship, now is the time to do it. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's lavish right there. Let's talk about something else that's lavish. In Exodus 24, verse 13, it says, Then Moses set out with Joshua his aide, 
And Moses went up on the mountain of God. Joshua went up to the mountain of God and to the presence of God with Moses. He said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and her with you. Anyone involved in the dispute can go to them. Joshua was allowed to go where even the government at that time was not allowed. Do you want to go into that place where, where the presence of God is so thick where the government cannot come? Yeah. Where, where lives are changed? Where, where the whole world, the, the landscape of the world has changed? Yes. Yes. That's where you find that lavishment. Amen. Amen. Church, who has been lavished with the Bible in this room? Anybody? Mm-hmm. Hold it up. I want to see it. See, we often travel and do missions around the world in areas where men have not yet been equipped with the word of God. And they memorize the parcels that they have. Hmm. Turn with me to Numbers 13, 16. It's time to read this in your own Bible. Hmm. Amen. Man. Precious. Everybody there? Say lavish. Lavish. Say lavish. Lavish. Numbers 13, verse 16. These are the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land. Moses gave Hoshea, son of Nun, the name Joshua. Who remembers the teaching on a hakam? Anybody in the room? A hakam is the lead disciple. It's one that the discipler is chosen to make an example of. One who is going to endure more correction, possibly more affection, and be a little closer than the rest. And another thing that the discipler does for that hakam is he gives him a nickname. He changes his name, his Hashem, his body character of work, who he is, who he represents to the world. In Numbers, Moses gives Joshua a new name. Over and over again, we are surrounded by people who do not fully understand their function. I love some of you. I know deeply about the things you are passionate about in this room. And you want to shake the world and set it on fire. Yes. But you're unstable and erratic because you have not been fully discipled. Plug into this church, plug into the discipleship, and go all the way into it, and God will teach you what your function is. Amen. He will show you how to implement. You do not know how to use your mezuzah statement until you have been fully discipled. Amen. Joshua, the mighty conquest of Canaan, did not know who he was until he had been discipled. You were meant to receive a new name. You were meant to receive a function and a calling that you know how to use inside of discipleship with this in mind because of Moses's attachment to Joshua he lavished on him this new name what this does is it causes us to become stable it causes us to become capable and ready to function in our purpose all around us you're going to see ministries that are constantly trying to be new and inventive what they are grasping at is the fact that they don't fully understand who they are and they're trying to figure out how to function in it there is a deficiency of discipleship around us who in this room has got a mezuzah statement i want to challenge you over 2018 it's time to learn how to use that mezuzah statement amen see if it's a pretty placard on your wall but you're erratic with it you don't know how to consistently faithfully show that you are operating in that calling what good is it tonight the lord is going to lavish upon us that training that we need He's going to lavish upon us that function and implementation in our lives that we need. And we are going to be fruitful, church. Say fruitful with me. Fruitful. We're going to be a fruitful house. Now let's talk about where that happens. Turn to Exodus 17, verse 14. Say lavish when you're there. We're going to get lavish tonight, church. Y'all want to get lavish? Yes. Amen. 
Then, get it, Pastor. <laughs> then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it. Because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Do we not need to be in that place where we hear a word from God with our pastors that changes our lives? That changes the landscape, changes the way we see things, the way we live, the way we move? Yes. This is the momentum that actually changes the world. How about momentum, Daniel? Oh, yeah. Wow. Joshua got to hear things that others only got to read about. Are you so close to the rabbi that while he's receiving instruction for the body, you're receiving it too? Wow. Ask yourself that question. Good question. You see, the blessing of being lavished upon is that you get to receive what most people don't. For Talmudim that attach themselves successfully, they get to receive from the Father spiritual insight that is reserved specifically for them for growth and bringing them into maturity. Come on, do you want to be in that place where yes. you are being lavished upon special revelation, special instruction, those secret stocks of revelation that only come from the Father lavishing on you because you've attached yourselves to Him. Amen. It is such a unique relationship that it takes on the characteristics of a son and a father in every way. Chris, would you stand up with your son for us for a minute? Uh-oh. See, dangerous. what God is calling us into is a relationship that is like this, where we're not speaking about a teacher who stands behind a podium in a distance like a professor. We're speaking about a rabbi who cares enough about his sons to input things that are difficult to hear, things that they need to grow. These boys will learn to take on a way of life with their father. You notice that they're not in children's church, that they're not hanging out at a friend's house. They're at his side. That's for a reason. Now, much like Chris might speak to a son as opposed to a random neighbor, the kind of relationship that we are speaking about is one where Chris lavishes upon his sons the kind of intimate details and knowledge that are not for the rest of the world to hear. Mm-hmm. You see, he's got a new relationship with him. We're entering into a relationship that is born of God. You get taken in. You get attached. And then all of a sudden, something new begins to stir. You learn first to form your relationship with Christ. Before you get married, before you're discipled, before you form any covenant in your life, that is the first step. But church, it was meant to grow from there, wasn't it? Yes. The bonds with your ministry partners, the bonds with your brothers on your left and right and your disciplers is of equal value. Say equal value. Equal value. Faithfulness is everything. As sons of the living God, we need to learn to hear his voice and be in tune to the lavish things that he is pouring out from these men, from elders like Baj and Charlie, and take it to heart like a son who is hearing special intel that the rest of the world is not privileged to. Amen. Amen. Go with us to 1 John 3. In verse 1, it says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. How great is the love that the Father lavishes on us that we get to be His sons. Hmm. See, what Judah's talking about is that special place where the Father's given you instruction that He would only give a son. So there's a difference between the way a man speaks to his neighbor, isn't there? Yes. Between the way that he speaks with his son. See, he'll take his son aside and show him things that he won't show his neighbor. He'll take his son aside and show him things that he wouldn't show the men at his workplace. Is that right? Yes. Turn with us to Matthew 13, verse 10 through 13. We're going to show exactly how Jesus did this with the disciples. 
Lavish, baby. <laughs> In verse 10, the disciples are puzzled. They're presenting a question to Jesus, their rabbi. And they're asking, why do you speak to the people in parables? Such a good question, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Why do you speak to them in such a confusing way? Why don't you just speak to them plainly? And Jesus replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but not to them. He's saying right there, you are my sons in the faith. Yeah. And that knowledge is transferred from my father down to you. It says, whoever, in verse 12, has will be given more, and he will have a what? Abundance. An abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken from him. You see that word for abundance in Greek? It's the same exact word for lavish. Hmm. How about yeah. that? It says, whoever has will be given more, and he will be lavished upon. Come on, do you have in this church? Do yes. you have revelation yes. from yes. this body? Yes. Do you have revelation from these men of God? Yes. If you follow after them and attach yourselves to him, you will receive more. You'll receive a lavishing coming your way, folks. But what happens if you don't? It says, whoever does not have, whoever does not attach, even what he has will be taken from him. In Luke 8.18, a similar sentence says, Therefore consider carefully how you listen. Even what he thinks he has will be taken from him. Hmm. You see, if you do not receive the lavishment of the Lord, even what you think you have will be taken from you. Hmm. You see, for those who pressed in, they get to be lavished on by the rabbis. They will get to partake in the secrets or the golden nuggets that their master gives. You see, it's important to ask in this body, who is discipling you? Who has lavished on you? Yeah. You see, there's a man sitting right here in this church that lavished on me for two years. Rick Lawhon lavished Amen. on me for two years his time, his patience, his diligence, his teaching. And I am here because of that. Who could you point to and say that they are lavishing their lifestyle upon me? Amen. See, whoever is not lavished upon, you've got to understand this, church. Whoever is not lavished upon in this body, in the kingdom, will be punished. Hmm. So how do you respond to that? Do you want to be lavished upon or do you yeah. want to be punished? We want to be lavished on. I myself want to be lavished upon. I need to get a lavishing. I don't want to be punished. Let's talk about 2 Timothy 2, verse 20. <laughs> In a large house, these, these, there are articles not only of gold and of silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. Who wants to be ignoble? Uh, nothing. Uh, fodder for the fire. Chaff blown in the wind. Unmovable. Nobody, right? What do you have to do? What is your responsibility then? If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes. Amen. Made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Amen. The, the, the beautiful thing about this church is that there will be some used for ignoble purposes, and there will be some used for noble purposes. But you get to choose. Yeah. I get to choose. We get to choose. So what are you going to do? Are you going to be lavished upon, or are you going to be punished? First Timothy verse three through four. I'm sorry. First Timothy chapter two, verse three through four. It says this is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all men to be saved. I see we got a rise in here. I guess y'all left Mike back in Chicago. How about all? All means all, right? All means all. God wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. God wants all men to be, be lavished upon. 
to do this, God will intervene in our lives to give us what we need to guarantee our hunger, our desire, our pressing into him with all that we have. He will call us to suffer with him so that we can be made perfect. I, I wasn't here for it, but I know that the church in Romania was prophesying to me when they said sometimes a kick in the butt is a step in the right direction. Yeah. Now, was it just for me or was it for everybody? Everybody. We need it, right? Yes. We want to be lavished upon, right? Yes. Amen. Turn to Isaiah 30, verse 19. We're going to talk about some lavishing that God does. God is yeah. the, the master lavisher. That's good stuff. Hmm. Yep, 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 yep. O people of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. Now remember this, he's going to answer you. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. Now when we, when we think about that, God answered with the bread of adversity and the water of affliction. But what did that produce? And, and our pastors and, and the men that we see here standing before us today, sitting in these, in these, in these seats, yeah. what did the bread of adversity produce in their lives? For, for many of us, for myself, I can attest, it produced freedom from chains. It produced chains broken. Amen. That's what the bread of adversity does when you see God rightly and you seek him. Amen. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Is that not what we hear daily? Yes. Is that not what we hear in a Monday night study in Judges, warning our souls? This is the way. Walk in it. He will answer your cry with the bread of adversity and the water. He, your adversity will be your teacher and it will not be hidden. You will hear God's voice giving direction. Do we not need direction for our lives? Yes. Do we not need direction for our family's lives? Amen. Tell you, when we went to, to Africa and we, we in a, uh, uh, the downtown of, of Nairobi, it's about it's two million, three million people, almost same as Houston, right? Yeah. But in Nairobi, it feels like everybody is in that square block of Nairobi. Can I say that Pastor Matt needed direction for his family, for his young girls and his wife and Mandy? Yeah. Did he not? Yeah. This is what we have being lavished upon us. Amen. Amen. Turn with us to Psalm 119, verse 66. Say lavish when you're there. Lavish. 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 Can beat you. Come on. Steamroller. See, it's important to know. It's important to know that God, our rabbis, our teachers will lavish on us good things, spiritual blessings, those hidden stalks of revelation. But also knowing that he will lavish on us affliction so that we learn how to be obedient is key to understanding what you're going through. In verse 66, it says, teach me knowledge and good judgment, for I believe in your commands. Everybody say, teach me knowledge. Teach me knowledge. Teach me good judgment. Teach me good judgment. If you want to learn knowledge and good judgment, you have to understand what verse 67 says. It says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. Hmm. Was there a period of, period of your life where you were afflicted? Yes. yes. Where God was pouring out his affliction on you as his son? Yes. But now... I obey your word. You see, God will put affliction on you so that you in turn obey his word. You see, sometimes we, we look at our trials and we say, oh, it's the devil. Oh, it's the devil's coming against me. But you have to ask, ask yourself, are you being obedient to his word? Because if you're not, possibly God is allowing you to be afflicted so that you can turn and obey his word. It's like Hebrews 12. 
You see, God is a good father, is he? He is. In Hebrews 12, verse 10, it says, Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Hmm. You see, God will pour, he will lavish discipline on you so that you can share in his holiness. That is a good thought, isn't it? Yes. You want to share in the holiness of God? Yes. Anytime you stray off that path, God is going to lavish you with discipline as a good father. Amen? Yes. Say, it's loving to be disciplined. It's loving to be disciplined. It's lavishing to be disciplined. Amen. Lavish on me. So another aspect of the kind of hardships that we endure is not when God is punishing you. It's when he has placed you in the perfect circumstance for you to be lavished on. Because what he wanted was for you to gain combat experience. Yes. See, the quintessential aspect of lavish is that it's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice on the part of the rabbi as well as the student. So when we think of lavish, you need to call to mind, of course, the fundamental teachings that every one of you should know. Baptism, the Holy Spirit, walk through. Rule of halves. Discipleship helps. Monday night Bible studies. Those are the basic things. The other things that pastors, elders, are lavishing on us on a daily basis is the pains, struggles, toil, and victories of their life. While you begin to contemplate that, let's turn to the book of Acts in 14. We're going to see a historical record here of how this worked. Because hardships that are endured teach us something. Whether it's punishment or it's one sacrificing to give you something. We need to lavish regardless. You in Acts 14? We're going to pick up in the 19th verse. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won over the crowd. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. Say dead with me. Dead. 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 We're not saying half dead. He didn't look funny. They thought he was dead and left him on the ground when they were trying to kill him. Hmm. I'm going to suggest to you that he did die. Uh, I think reading from this passage, they were not saying that he went into a coma and woke up later. The man was stoned by a crowd, left on the ground. But then read the next verse and see what happens. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the good news in the city and won a large number of disciples. The primary motivator by which you are lavished upon is when you are taken in, attached, and walking with them. And they lavish their hardships, their sufferings, and their victories upon you. When they get stoned half to death and they get up and go back and preach in the city. Being lavished upon is when you are taking shots from the enemy and still in the fight and showing you how to do it. See, to lavish is a sacrifice. Like a father who steps in for his son. You remember our 12th round series? He is yes. watching. When Peter is being, or Stephen is being stoned, he is watching, looking for the opportunity to jump in. See, this sacrifice taught them something that could not ever come from a pulpit. As much, as much as we would like it to, you cannot learn what it is to have people abandon the faith. You cannot learn what it is to have people Hurl insults and slander. You cannot learn what it is to have people desecrate your name in every possible way or physically beat you from a pulpit. See, those things are found through walking. And when you walk, he lavishes. Amen. 
As we finish this passage, they go on and they encourage these disciples. Let's see how they do it. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter into the kingdom. They said, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Poseidon, they came into Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word, they went down to Italia. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had done and now completed. Now watch what they do after they complete this journey. I tell you, I've been on some missions trips. When I get off the plane, I'm tired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You understand what I mean? It's not like I just had a long day at work. It's I've had a long 21 days without any sleep. I assure you, these men sailing on a boat were tired. But what they do here is different. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. The quintessential aspect of a rabbi and a disciple is that continued following, attaching, walking, and them lavishing every aspect of their life upon you. Some of the things that this ought to call to mind are the details of your shalom and your home. Every area of your life. When we talk about the failures that men of God have had in the past, through the examples of Moses and Aaron, these are personal details. We are going to reciprocate with our leadership. We're going to open wide our hearts. We're going to respond to their leading. And through hardships, difficulties, we're going to learn to bond together and form relationships where we are able to receive the lavishment that God has called us to. Amen. Amen. There's a few questions that the disciples have been hearing on occasion. One of them is, why are the pastors never encouraging me? (laughs) The other one is, why are they always with them? Meaning a clique or some special group of people like Joshua. I think Justin answered that pretty well. I want to call to your mind Proverbs 17, 17. Will you put that on the screen? Mm -hmm. A friend loves at all time, and a brother is born for adversity. I'll tell you, church, that relationships are born in adversity. A relationship worth having with your pastors is born in hard times. It's not born from a seat. It's not born from padding those places and keeping it warm. What it is born in is in hardship, in trial, when you are stretching out in your faith. Ask the men in this church about trips to Iraq. Ask the men in this church about trips to Honduras, about trips to India. In each of these places I've listed, there's been sickness, dysentery, threats of life, threats of stoning, and a whole lot else in other areas of the world. When you think about the missions that our church does, it's extraordinary. Think about our home body, what we do on a daily basis. How about a lost child? That ought to sit for just a second. You should have some flashbacks of the last couple of years. True friendships, where you are able to be lavished upon, where you're bound together, are formed in times like that. Yes. See, God in his goodness to us has lavished upon us some difficult times. See, but I, I can smell a fire brewing. And it's getting hot enough to melt iron and bond men together so that they are fit for service. Amen. See, if you want to shape iron, you don't do it in cool, breezy weather. You do it in a furnace. When when God wanted to shape his people, he sent them into that smelting furnace, Egypt. Tonight, the King of Kings is trying to shape us. 
He wants iron in his church. Yes. Say iron. Iron. You remember our teaching on Joseph? We're going to get iron in our soul. That iron is something God is lavishing upon us. And he is going to build us up like an army. We're not a gathering or a committee. We're an army of the living God. Amen. And we're not talking about any special cliques, any special groups, any special circles in this church. We're talking about joining yourself to a rabbi. Joining yourself to someone that you want to model his way of life and following after him. Folks, there are three pastors and two elders in this church. There are plenty of disciples around here to go to. Run after them. Attach yourselves to them. Get in the trenches with them and examine their ways of life. Look at the hardships that they are encountering. Join yourself in those hardships. Don't just look from the outside and give advice to them. Okay? Join these men in the trenches and you'll see the lavishment that comes from Jesus on your life. Amen. Look what Jesus did in Mark 14. Mark 14, verse 22 through 23. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, take this, this is my body. What were they doing together? Eating. They weren't in a church service together. They weren't listening to a sermon They were eating together. They were sharing a lifestyle. Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it. And he told them, take it. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them. And they all drank from it. What is the setting here? The setting is that they are eating with their rabbi. They are eating with their discipler before his greatest trial. Hmm. The greatest trial that the Son of God would go through is in the next hours. Jesus didn't back away. Jesus didn't shy away. He didn't take some alone time. As a matter of fact, He tried to get His disciples to be there with Him, but they said that their flesh was weak. See, Jesus was sharing this moment with His disciples, His greatest trial, and He was lavishing on them His own body, which would be broken for them. You see, the rabbis are willing to lay down everything for their disciples. The disciples have to be attached, and they have to receive that lavishment from the rabbi. Continues on to say that they all drank from the same, cl- the same cup. Are you so close to your pastors that you can drink of the same cup with them? What did Jesus tell to James and John's mother when they asked, They said, Jesus, can my son sit on your left and the right when they come into your kingdom? Jesus said, it is not up to me to determine that. Let me ask you you a question. He asked them that, can you drink of the same cup as me? That is an intense call to to receive the lavishment that Jesus would give. Because the cup that Jesus drank, the cup of suffering, the cup of suffering for the world, dying, carrying up his cross... He is calling them to drink of that same cup. Are you drinking of the same cup as your pastors in this house? Are you receiving their lavishment? Are you so close to them that you're sharing in the same spiritual nourishment, whether good things or hard things? Hmm. We're going to camp out on that for a little bit. Y'all turn to John 16, verse 33. Because this is heavy. 
You talk about that, that, that modeling, that, that, that lavishing that, that Jesus is pouring out on, on his disciples. Let's, let's look at this like we read it for the very first time. The losing of the first time. How about Acts 1? Yeah. Acts 1 students. Losing the first time, right? Jesus is getting ready. The goodness of God, the perfect son of God who knew no wrong, who knew no sin, who walked about healing and proclaiming the kingdom of God, but proclaiming freedom. He is about to go to the cross and suffer and be separated from his father. He knows the goodness of God. He knows the character of God. And yet he's going to suffer for our sins, for my sin, for your sin. And what is he showing his disciples here? He's lavishing them on them the fact that you can go through the worst trial. You can go through death itself, something that tears you apart with a victorious spirit. Yeah. That's what he's lavishing on us. Has 2017 been a battle? Yes. Has 2017 been a fight? Yes. I've seen things in this year. I've seen people go through things and handle things that I never in my wildest dream could have imagined. I never could have imagined somebody losing their child in the morning and praising God all throughout the night, that, 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 that later on at night. This is the kind of cup that's being lavished upon us, that's being lavished upon you. This is the cup that Jesus poured out. Now, what is our responsibility to that cup? It's to receive it. You, you got to receive the lavishing that your pastors are giving to you. It said Jesus looked towards the cross and endured it, endured it shame, endured the, the scorn of the cross with joy. Yeah. This same joy, the same victorious spirit is the same spirit that Jesus has lavished on us, that your pastors are lavishing on you. You must receive that, church. Yes. You must receive that. Yes. Amen. LCM, do you want to overcome the world? Yes. Do you want to overcome the world? Yes. Do you want to overcome the world? Yes. yes. We're going to get his lavishment tonight. Brother Treaster is going to explain to us how we get those linen clothes and what we need to do with them. Because he is seeking to lavish that on you so you can overcome the world tonight. We are going to do this together. Amen. Turn with us to Matthew 22, verse 11. In verse 11. says, but when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wearing wedding clothes? The man was speechless. That's crazy. Then the king told his attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, the king wants to lavish his guests with those righteous clothes, those righteous acts. He wants to put those clothes upon you. But a person who had the opportunity to be lavished upon, he wasn't wearing his clothes. He didn't receive it. You have to receive the lavishment. You have to receive the lavishment from your teachers. We can't say that enough. How often... Do we get lavished upon? And we treat it as just any common thing. We treat the lavishment that we get from our pastors as just another word. As just something that wasn't for us. As something that didn't cost them anything, so it's not going to cost me anything. Hmm. 
You see, the king wanted to lavish upon the guests, but they didn't receive it. They didn't put on the clothes. They didn't put on the revelation. They didn't put on the actions that followed that revelation. Reminds us of a few men that we've seen come through here. They had every possibility to receive the lavishment of God. Every possibility. Some, some who have left even had more opportunity to receive lavishment than others. And they still did not put it on. Mm. Think about this for a second. In John 6, verse 67. Put it on the screen and we'll look at it there. Jesus is lavishing on His disciples. He is sharing His deepest revelations with them. He is dropping sods on them in a way that they have never understood before. And these sods were so offensive. Remember, we talked about that the secrets of the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven had been given to some and not the others. You see, for those who didn't receive it, they walked away from Jesus. They walked away from Jesus. And then Jesus turns to His disciples and He says... You do not want to leave too, do you? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter looks right back at Jesus and says, Lord, where will we go? There is no other place where we can get lavished on. There's no other place that God has told us to be in. We don't want the lavishment of the world. We want your lavishment. Because you are the Holy One, the Son of God. You are our Father. You are the way to our Father. We want your lavishment. But what does Jesus reply? Look at verse 70. Jesus replied. Go ahead, put it on the screen so we can all see it. After a bold statement by Peter. Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. You see, that man received the same lavishment that all of the other apostles had. He received the same thing. See, there wasn't a problem with Jesus. Okay, There wasn't a problem with Judas' pastor. There wasn't a problem with Judas' teacher. There wasn't a problem with the material or the area in which he was learning. There was a problem with him. He refused to put on the lavishment and therefore he was cast out. Folks, what we have to learn is that there is so much lavishment in this place and we could damn ourselves by not using it rightly. We could damn ourselves by not putting on that revelation and that lavishment. See, how many sit from the outside looking in and saying, why can't I be there? And yet they cannot learn to do the very basic things that you need to do. What did Paul say? Let's not go back into the elementary teachings. You do not need solid food. You need milk. Let us not be found in that category, church, where we want to put on deeper things, but we can't because we haven't mastered the elementary things. Do you want the lavishment of God in this church? Yes. Because it will cost you if you don't have it. If you do not have the lavishment of God, there is weeping and gnashing of teeth for you if you don't respond to it. Oh, church, will God waste His diamonds of revelation on you while you think they're just trinkets and toys? Will you waste these fathers' time by not taking it seriously, by not attaching yourself, by not opening wide your hearts and sharing the affection that they share to you? 
There's so much lavishment on this church. And I'm telling you, when you get lavished upon, it feels good. When you're in that moment where you are like Joshua and you're receiving something special that no one gets, it feels great. But will you do it? Will you put on what you know you're supposed to do in this body? You see, the 11 decided to continue, even though it's difficult. Like the disciples that gathered around Paul, they didn't run. They went right back with him into the city. Do you want to go right back with, with Jesus into the city of the night? Yes. Then you have to continue to take on that lavishment, whether it is good or whether it is bad, whether it tastes right to you in the moment or it tastes foul because you don't agree with it. You need to learn to take upon that lavishment. Your fathers are treating you like sons, church. Amen. There was one who was previously lavished upon but wasted it. I want to bring to your mind the men in this church that you've seen go, who have had tremendous callings, who have had extraordinary gifts, but they wasted the lavishment upon them because they could not have the integrity, they couldn't have the character to stay there with Jesus, their rabbi. Hmm. Say, but tonight's about you. Tonight's about me. Revelation 3, 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. See, this is what we do when our actions demonstrate that we do not want the lavishment of God. When we decide that we are rich, that we are clothed, that we can see and we have all that we need. We are saying to God, I don't need you. When you are saying to your pastors, I don't need you. When you've decided that you have received enough of the teaching, that your call must be protected and you can stand in the distance. When you do not fully engage into the lavishment that he has called you to, you are standing in the church of God where there is a lamp saying that I am rich and I need nothing. See, church, we love you. We love you desperately. I love every one of you. I'm watching men in this room rise to the occasion on a regular basis. And we're attempting to do the same on the stage. Amen. But Christ charged us with losing none. None. And we are not okay with watching people sit on the edge of hellfire, choosing not to take the very life-saving things that they need because we've lost too many already. Amen. See, I'm beginning to become more and more aware of how much we are desperately outgunned. The One Association is strong, filled with spirit-filled men who love the Lord. Amen. And yet the harvest is great and we need harvesters. What we need is you. We need men who will realize their condition, what is available to them, and get in the fight. See, we cannot sit here and have the armories of heaven at our disposal that God intended for you to receive here and now and try and go out without it. You're going to get killed. We're tired of seeing people with their heads blown off because they didn't take the time to learn the training. But you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. But he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. Say buy. Buy. The gospel was freely given, but your discipleship, you have to go after. You have to pay the cost of it. They are freely sacrificing to lavish it upon you, but it costs something from you to receive it. 
it doesn't happen through osmosis. It's not going to happen by attending a church or a meeting. It's not going to happen by attending a lunch event on occasion. It's going to happen by you pressing your body, your life, your family, your calling into that fight so that you may be armed and prepared for the good works that were made in advance for you to accomplish. Tonight what we want is to take on that gold that is refined in fire. Not in cool weather, not in pleasant environments, but in fire. So you can become rich and wear white clothes. Because like Brother Tristo just said, he has already prepared lavishment for you. Yes. He's prepared lavishment for you already. No one in this room is without it. There's not a soul in this room who's disadvantaged, who has come into this body lesser, who somehow God in all of his wisdom and grace left you out. Every one of you had the complete availability of that lavishment from heaven that will clothe you in white garments, that will give you gold that is refined in the fire. Amen. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. Stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come and eat with him and he with me. What was the invitation that we heard earlier? He offered them his body and his blood. He told them to come and drink the cup of me. Christ is saying to our church this evening that if you will come and knock, I will pour out upon you. Yes. All through the worship service, as we were led by Brother Bim, he was illuminating to our church the fact that God is presenting something here like showbread in the temple. And he's saying, come and eat. You're going to need it. I want you to drink of it. It is here for you. I have lavished it on you. I want you to come and have it. Yes. We are not going to stare at the menu anymore. We're going to eat it. Amen. Amen. See, we think about this in a very general way often. But what in the room have you known that you were called to do and you have stayed on the outskirts of? I know some of you who are called to fivefold ministry, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and you have a fivefold ministry right in front of you. And yet, you've stayed distant the entire time you're here while saying you want to be discipled. Many of you have said that you want to be discipled, and then immediately something blows up in your life and you forget about the prospect. We must take hold of it. We're going to grab the lavishment that Christ has already presented before us. Yes. He's laid out a banquet for us tonight. Mm. In the midst of fire is where we are refined. It's where gold is made. See, I want to be next to the pastors, especially when it's hard. Amen. Amen. See, I look forward to standing with my brothers when it's hard. Yes. See, it's all fun and games when you're sitting around joking, when you're hanging out together. But brothers are born in adversity. Amen. Amen. Fathers and sons are formed in a fight. Amen. See, I long for the opportunity to stand with Daniel when I know that he's going through some serious hellfire, but God is reforming gold in his soul. Amen. Amen. I love to be there with Keith when he's struggling to accomplish what God has called him to do, wrestling with jobs, wrestling to, to urge and teach his family. But he is fighting for righteousness, and then we see it come through. Yes. Amen. See, over and over again, God will lavish upon you what you need in the relationships that he wants when you get into that trench. Hmm. When you are sitting in here, the people in your left and right, how engaged are you in their lives? 
Do you see each other at church? Do your wives see each other at an occasional outing? Are you deeply, intimately involved in your brother on your left and right's life? Amen. See, gold is going to come out of this church. Yes. Because God has already lavished it upon us. Amen. Where did God lavish his words and his teachings on the seven churches of Revelation? In the serenity of social security or in the scorching fires of Satan's persecution? Do you think these pastors are any different? If you want to have these men lavish their anointing and teaching on you, you must get into the trenches and fight. That is where we learn to be taught. Brother Smiles is going to show us how to get it right now. (laughs) Y'all look at me now. Look at me. Does that not make you happy? You know what makes me happy? What, what, What really makes me happy? Is that Jesus has already prepared the table for his church. It'd be one thing if we had to go up to heaven to, to, to be with him or to descend down to the depths to find him. But he's here right now. He's already prepared that way. He's already done it. What's left to us to do is to respond to that. Respond to that lavishment. And you know how to show up? You know how, we, how, how we'll know that we're responding to that lavishment? It'll be shown in the way that you live with your brothers to your left and to your right. It'll be shown in the, the, the times that you spend with your pastors, with the hard times, with the good times. Can I, can I say that we need each other? Yeah. That your brothers need yeah. you? Yeah. That your pastors need you? Yeah. Yes, they need you. Yeah. But what will you do? Y'all stand up. Now, y'all going to go to sleep. No. Eventually, you'll go to sleep. and You're going to be saying lavish all night in your dreams. We, we can say it 30 times, but we, I don't want to leave from this moment talking about the word and not experiencing the word. This lavishing that we're talking about from Jesus himself, from the perfect son of God, we can have that now. Amen. We can have that lavishment now, but it requires us to move. It requires us to act. It requires us to change. Amen. It requires us to change practices in our lives. But you know where it starts? It starts right now. It starts at this altar. It starts with these brothers. It starts with the men to your left and your right. First Peter 6. 1 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though referred by fire may be proven genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. Amen. You know what's crazy about that? It's saying that it will happen, that Jesus will be revealed, but he's already revealed himself to us in the lives around us. He's already revealed himself to us in the way that we see our pastors live, in the way that we see our elders live, in the way we see our families operate. He's already revealed himself. Now, if you wouldn't sit at that table on, on the last night of Jesus' life and not take that cup and drink of it, then don't live a life that refuses to drink the lavishment that he is pouring out to you through your pastors, through the family, through the body of Christ. Amen. What are we going to do, church? We're going to be lavished? Yes. Let's get lavished then.